Welcome to Talking Talk, the podcast for the media by us.com. My name's TJ and I'm joined today by Brent. Hello. <laughs> that was crap. <laughs> Forgot how to talk. You scared my dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, dog. He's trying to come save you. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, just TJ and Brent today in uh, office number two again. Not for the first time, no. But it's performing like cool. office number one. It's, it's, it's just trying to move, get moved up the lineup. Uh, today we're going to talk about the 1973 Terrence Malick debut film starring Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek, Badlands. Badlands. And then uh, move on in. We're not doing any uh, games that I know of or anything today, but we're going to talk about stuff that this movie made us want to talk about, I guess. But Brent, you want to run down the, the plot as best you can? Yeah. Well, first, uh, I'll say why I picked this movie was I've uh, I've never enjoyed a Terrence Malick movie that I have watched all the way through, really. Um, and so this was my only my third too. Let's. I'm gonna. What have you? I've only seen Song to Song and Thin Red Line. No. Um, I've also seen Song to Song. That movie's awful. It is very bad. Shit. I'm sorry. I had this in my head. Song to Song and oh, The New World. Okay, and I have seen Song to, to Song. the Wonder. You seen the Tree of Life too? Haven't you? Uh, not all the way through. Okay, <laughs> couldn't make it. I stopped that one. Me and you both saw Song to Song last year in the 2017 race, though. And I and I saw To the Wonder during my Ben Affleck fun. Ben Affleck oh, during nice. my afflection period. Afflection. That's right. Uh, it's it's not bad. It's definitely better than Song to Song. A good cast. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. I mean, so does song to song, <laughs> but um, but no, the bad you know Badlands I've always heard is one of his better movies, and I I noticed it during our uh, directorial debut draft that it was a debut movie for him, and I was just interested. I liked the cast, and so I thought I'd give it a shot and make someone else watch it with me. So which would, it's not so much that I'm making someone else watch it; it's that by assigning it to someone else to watch. You get to talk about. <laughs> well, I know then that I will actually follow through and watch. Oh, it. sure. So, um, so yeah, this is a story of. Uh, well, I guess weirdly, I guess it's the story of Holly, a fifteen-year-old girl in. I'm not sure where the movie starts. South Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. She's the narrator for the film, and she meets Kit, sort of a shiftless young man who's 25 years old in the movie. Uh-huh. She's 15. And they... But Sissy Spacek five years before Carrie? Four years yeah. before Carrie? Yeah. And Sissy... I think Sissy Spacek at the time was like 22 or so. 20- not famous though by any means. No, not famous. Um, and Martin Sheen plays Kit, the uh, the man she meets. They sort of have a little slight whirlwind romance. They fall in love. And... You can just tell from the beginning something's a little off with Kit. And off with Holly, as well. They're both a little... Just something's not quite right with them. And, uh... Eventually, Holly's father finds out about their romance, which he has forbidden. And... One thing leads to another. Kit murders Holly's father. And the two of them then take off on the run together. And they go from town to town, they go from farm to farm, and they wind up killing a lot of people, and 
it's just sort of uh, their uh, murderous run together. It's always Kit doing the killing, but they're they're together, and Holly never seems to really mind all that much. Um, really weird quotes, like after the fifth or sixth murder, where she's like, "That's when I realized Kit was the most trigger happy man I'd ever known." It's like, yeah. that's when you realized, <laughs> yeah. Which it's like, yeah, she's she's messed up. Yeah, I mean, she definitely had some mental issues. Yeah. You're meant to believe. Um, but yeah, she. Uh, the it, it's sort of. It, it's not the original crime crime spree lovers movie because that's uh, just it's a five years after Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. came out. But it's definitely a different one, and I mean Bonnie and Clyde had the. I don't think they ever seemed quite as mentally unhinged, Bonnie and Clyde. Like, Bonnie and Clyde was just a... It was set in a different era, and it was, you know, bank robbers. Bank the, robbers. The, guy, the, the couple this is based off of had the same kind of mental health issues. Yeah. So this is loosely based on Charles Starkweather, who uh, has inspired lots of films like this, like... Uh, and, yeah. Natural uh, Born Natural Killers. Natural Killers. Um... There's a movie starring Tim Roth that came out in the early '90s, a TV miniseries that won Emmys. Um, and the Springsteen song, Nebraska, yeah, I yeah. think, is about Stark weather, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- th- this didn't happen in South Dakota, Montana, like the movie did. It happened in Nebraska, Iowa. Yeah. But uh, the Sissy Spacek character she's based on is still alive, married yeah. in, in Detroit. Saw that she served 17 years in jail. Was it? So, yeah, so let's start off with, what did you, what did you like about the movie? The, my favorite thing about the movie, by far, was the shift in theme with about 20 minutes to go. I felt like it became a movie about celebrity, and I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely about that, it's... You see a little bit of that from Kit. So what you what you're talking about is like when when Kit gets captured, and then how nice and ever all the cops are to him, and how like blown away they are. Like, did you? He just got these very like matter of fact answers, and they think they're so fucking hip and cool. Mm-hmm. Like, do you hate people? It's like people are okay, and they're like, oh yeah. And it's that scene. It starts. It starts in the police car when that guy says, "You know who he looks like," and it echoes back to like why Sissy SpaceX character, why Holly fell in love with him at the beginning. She has a quote near the beginning that said, "He looked like James Dean." Yeah. And then in the police car after he's been captured, the police, well, the deputy is like, "I'll kiss your ass if he doesn't look just like James yeah. Dean." And that's where it starts building all yeah. this like this weird fascination with like violent killers. And they're just letting him do whatever he wants. They're, you know, talking to him. And he's like, who wants a lighter? Like, take my lighter. Anybody want a pen? He's he, he's loving it, and they're eating it up. Yeah. And even they're like, oh, um, you know, Holly's over here. Do you want to go talk to her for a minute? And they just, like, let him go off and talk without anybody else around. Like, I don't know. Kit definitely sees himself in that light the whole movie because he keeps making these recordings where he's just like, People are going to yeah. care what I have to say yeah. one day. And he's just like, it's all just bullshit. It's just like, the kind of, it's like, you know, stay in school. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, your teachers know more than you think they do. Or or just like, 
advice. He has his own like, little taped advice column to the world, which is and it and nothing's interesting about it. Right. But yeah, that that like cults of celebrity around killers and whatnot. It's definitely exploring that. And he was a, a and, and and to segue from that into what I've also liked a lot about the movie is uh, the way they played his like lack of conscience was neat. Is it wasn't it never came across like he was evil. He was just kind of apathetic toward the whole thing. Like yeah, that like, well I had to kill those bounty hunters, but yeah. I mean, it's fine. We just had to do it. Yeah, like his best friend is running away, and he's like, "Damn it!" Because he, he had to. He right. thinks he has to. And then he even says one thing. He's like, "It's it, as long as you are okay with the consequences later, you know." Yeah. Then this stuff's fine. And I think you tell it, you get it big in the cop car where they're like, "Are you afraid of death?" And he's like, "Never really thought about it." Like he doesn't even think about these people not being alive anymore. I feel like right. He's so disassociated. Right. Um. And also, you know, I think she's got a little bit of that, too. She doesn't have the violence, but she's definitely got the apathy towards life. Yeah, where he's like, all right, you ready to run for it? Let's go. And she's like, nah, I don't want to. Yeah. She's like, what? (laughs) Well, when her father dies, you know, he kills her father, and then she's just instantly, like, I think she just moves on to something else. And then there's there's also that scene at the beginning when her dad punishes her and you wonder if maybe she gets a little bit of this from her dad, but when he punishes her for going out with Kit by murdering her dog. Oh, right. When he, like, just, he's like, and she she's narrating it, and she just says, well, he had to shoot my dog. And so, and then she said, and even after that, he's, you know, she just moves on to something that she seems totally unaffected by the death of her dog. And she seems pretty unaffected by the death of her father. And you get this disassociated with life thing with Kit in the first scene where he's like, I threw enough trash for today. Yeah. And then he gets fired the next day and he's like so pissed about it. And it's like, well, dude, you just left in the middle of the shift. Yeah. And he bets his coworker, he's like, I bet you, I'll give you a dollar if you eat that dead dog. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, eat this collie. So, yeah, right, immediately he's clearly a psychopath. Right. But not like a, an energetic one. No, like I don't ever think he would torture anybody. No. And I don't think he derives a lot of pleasure from killing. I don't, I think it's just like, Stone face. Yeah. Which kind of makes it, I don't know, scarier in a way. Yeah. Where he just, it just doesn't even register with him. That he's doing it, yeah. That he's, yeah, ending life. Um, one thing I also really loved about the movie is the cinematography and the scenes and the, uh, like the, which I think is a, through all Terrence Malick's movies that I've seen, it's been a strong point, is his, uh, his, he finds pretty places to shoot boring shit. Just he has yeah. a he has a way of like really capturing uh, the beauty of just like America. Like um, he makes America seem big right. to me. Yeah, like, especially in this movie where they they just take out or they they take off on the lamb, and they're just like the only car for miles and miles and miles. And so he has a way of making America seem huge to me. Right. And I like that. I like that aspect of it. Um, How did you like the music choices? Well, I actually loved it. I thought it was really cool. Where it's like bouncy um, like, and just like happy music at like times? Carnivalistic. Um, like, is that a word? But yeah. like, like like carnival music kind yeah. of at times? Yeah. So it was really, really interesting. Yeah. The, the credits at the end were just so weird. I said listen to that one yeah. song. <laughs> we did do kind of. It was, it was crazy. Um, um, there's something else I was going to ask you about now. I can't damn remember about the movie. But it was... Something else that I found interesting. 
I do think that while you're, while you're thinking, I do think that his uh, his big theme, like, which is what you were saying, but also I think even bigger, which is just like uh, the serenity of America, which has also been a very violent nation. Oh yeah, I definitely history. think before that it was kind of a manifest destiny theme, they like westward expansion. I mean, they're heading out into the what they consider the great unknown. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? A lot of untamed and, country, and they have unrealistic expectations about what's going to happen yeah. when they get out there. Especially in that scene where they live, they're living in the woods, and he's so rigging pretty. up the. But yeah, yeah, the, rigging the up all the like, traps, the booby traps. Yeah, yeah, it's a very pretty movie. It's uh, and they, he puts two very pretty people at the center of it. I mean, Martin Sheen's a good-looking guy, and Sissy Spacek's beautiful. What do you think about their performances? I think. It, it was hard to get used to because they were, I think they were really good for what they were, which was, my first reaction was, they don't have a lot of range in this movie. And then I was like, these characters don't have a lot of range. They're psychopaths, yeah. They're, they're psychopaths. Right. So they are all just disaffected and, and, and it's, it, I found it true to the characters. I thought their performances in that respect was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I thought they were both good, not amazing or average right. somewhere in the middle um, I did get a lot of Malik though and that was the one thing that I was like oh, he's, he was always this way kind of just like stream of consciousness writing when she's doing some narrations and then he'll cut away to like shots of like uh, those paintings that he kept go- going yeah. back to or um, there was one when it was uh, I wish I could remember exactly what it was showing but uh during some narration of hers, he goes from, from, you know, shot to shot to shot to shot, just sort of a, a smattering of images, which all they go well with what she's saying, and but you're you're right, it was definitely it definitely has that 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 Malik flair that I'm not even gonna say is bad. I'm just gonna say it's hard to it's an acquired taste, and mm-hmm. I had definitely not yet acquired it coming into this movie. Although I think this movie helped a little bit. If Chris was here, he would say this isn't the Reedy Reed podcast. But have you ever read any Chuck Palahniuk? Mm-mm. So he writes a lot of that kind of way, where it's just like, you know, I was going to get the mail. I grabbed the three envelopes that were in the mailbox and I put them in my left hand, and then I walked back up into the house. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I fucking get it. <laughs> and that's kind of what. This movie felt like at times, and it felt like it worked better than it did in the other two Terrence Malick movies I've seen. Yeah, because these people are so crazy, and yeah. like they, that might be how they talk and think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird, you know. The other two I've seen probably have less dialogue than this movie had altogether, which is weird because Psalm of Psalm was a two and a half hour movie, right? With very little dialogue in a new world. I don't think you had like any dialogue. <laughs> Until the last thirty minutes, so I, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't rank movies again. I said this last time. I think I don't rank movies that we talk about for homework. I'll go back and rank them. Um, probably four. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking at least four. It, it's it's a movie that I. I could go four and a half. I go three and a half. It's a movie that I admire more than I like. Like I think it's. I think it's good more than I. More than I. I the word enjoy is hard to use for this movie. It's like, a good movie. Like, I've read that it was uh, put in the National Film Registry, Library of Congress, and I was like, oh, this is a great movie for that. Yeah. 
there's because there's so many different aspects of it. It's a it's a it's a good snippet of like how, and I'm sure I'm sure it, it's more of its time too. Like coming out in 1973 during the Vietnam War and just a lot of I don't know a lot of uneasiness about uh, America and you know mm-hmm. what it what it meant to be American at the time. Yeah. It reminded me in that way of of uh, There Will Be Blood, which I like better. But they both have like things to say about I don't know America and violence. I can see that. Um, I think I like what Paul Thomas Anderson does better because I I don't know I think it has more cohesive message and theme. But at the same time, this had an abrupt an abrupt shift. It mm-hmm. felt like. And uh, Terrence Malick's movies often feel sort of like dreams. Not necessarily, they're not always good dreams. Mm-hmm. And by good dreams, I don't mean like, I'm not saying they're nightmares. I'm saying that they're, he's not always good at. Yes. I don't always enjoy it. Like Song to Song felt a little like that too. Mm-hmm. But this one definitely felt that way. Just because of, I think the way these two are just floating through this journey together. And they don't seem aware that it's real. Yeah, um, I did. I, I'm 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 really glad I watched it because I did enjoy it much more than I enjoyed the other two Malick movies that I've oh, seen. God, by I mean those movies aren't good. This movie was better than good. I thought mm-hmm. so. It's not even close. It makes me want to see uh, what's it called? Heaven? Days of Heaven? Yeah, Days of the Heaven. other one that happens before Terrence Malick may or may not have gone insane. <laughs> we don't know yet. Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know that story, just just read the wiki. Uh, there's a under his film career. There's a block that says hiatus, and uh, Bucker just straight disappeared for twenty years. So he made Days of Heaven in what early eighties? No, seventy eight. Okay, nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, seventy eight. It came out in seventy eight, and then his next movie was Then Red Line in ninety eight. So twenty years without releasing a movie. And he was, he was writing like, plays in Paris. But they didn't, they didn't know that at the time. They just kind of found him over there writing plays in Paris. He, had, he was making this movie called Q, a project for Paramount that explored the origins of life on Earth. And that so, just but, sounds like something that could have happened to him. And then like knowing what happens in the Tree of Life and seeing a new world, like he, he may have made him like kind of obsessive about, about what's gone on in the prehistory history of Earth. Yeah. Because Tree of Life is a movie I'm, I'm working my way back to in just the sense of like I'm gonna see it. I need to see it. I'm gonna see it at some point. People I respect say it is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, I want. I came close to. I'm, I'm doing a Talk of Fame homework assignment today, and I came close to just picking Tree of Life, and I was like, I can't though. I need like, I need months. I'm not ready. Yeah, I need yeah. months after I see it to know what. Oh. The, like I, I maybe I don't know. Um. Yeah, I also might shoot it like a TV show. I might watch it in like four 30-minute settings. I don't know. Makes me nervous. That second 30-minute setting is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you like dinosaurs and shit. <laughs> I do like dinosaurs. Is, and, it, is it better? Is that 30 minutes better than uh, Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom? Yeah. That'll be the game we play. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I like the movie. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, and... Uh, 
But I did like it. It's definitely a different speed of movie. Yeah. It feels it feels much longer than its hour and a half, just because not a lot not a lot happens, even though there's like a lot of killing. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't have the feel of those other movies that it gets lumped in with, like Bonnie and Clyde and Natural Born Killers and I remember what I was gonna ask you earlier. How do you feel about the weird, like kind of gory nature of the gunshot wounds? Did you notice that? It seemed like out of place in movies, but not out of place in that movie, if that makes sense. It was just like, I saw it and I was like, huh, that's weird. That yeah. They look like, well, they got bitten, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you think about that at the time? Like, did you notice it as odd? I noticed it. Yeah. But I didn't really, I don't know. Normally there's no blood in Gunshot. There either is like realistic blood or no blood. Well, this is, yeah, I mean, this is This felt like campy, but also bloody. Was Bonnie and Clyde bloody? No, it was just like, they would fall down. And I think this is a few years after the Wild Bunch, which was definitely bloody. I'm trying to see what, I don't know if maybe by the early 70s, I I think it was kind of at least starting up. Yeah. Bloody, bloody gunshots, but, and maybe it is, maybe it was supposed to, I mean, almost everybody I feel like they shot were wearing something, they weren't, nobody was wearing red. Yeah. And so that red really pops against all those clothes. And the scenery. And the scenery, because it's very drab and brown and and whatnot. Right. So I can definitely see that being for that reason, um, the red really pop, because, uh. Something to make us notice, just so that we don't. I guess it, yeah. I guess you could say it adds to the horror of it, or at least it brings us back to the the realness of it, in a way that just having somebody fall down would not. Might not, yeah. I can get on, I can get on board with that. Um, so, would you recommend it? Um, is it watch list worthy? I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, because Terrence Malick is obviously an important filmmaker. He's revered. And I think this is a good first watch, a first Malick movie to watch, because <laughs> because you should not jump in. It, well, first of all, I mean, song to song's bad, and is is a what's what's it? The New World. A New World. Is it is it any good? You've seen it. I have not. Um. So, I'll like say, it? no, it is not good, but I'm not sure what the consensus on it is. Let's see. I think it was favorable? No, maybe 62% percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic, 69. So, so middling? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I didn't think it was that good. It's got Colin Farrell, and then I, I think he got a lot of praise for hiring a true Native American woman to play Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. But, and. Yeah. The uh, his other movie that we've seen uh, or that I've seen is uh, To the Wonder, and it's not bad, but it's not it's great. It's not great. It's very slow moving. It's a very slow contemplative movie, and I would definitely not recommend it as a first Malick movie. But yeah. I, I think I think Badlands is if you're not if you're not into Terrence Malick, I think Badlands is a decent. Uh, first movie to just see if you might want to watch more because it is the kind of movie it's a movie that made me at least want to check out more of his stuff even knowing what I'm getting into to an extent right but but yeah I would recommend it also it's short so you've only wasted an hour and a half if you don't like it right so I assume Tree of Life is his best reviewed movie 
Maybe with Badlands. I don't know about best reviewed, but I, it's definitely his most revered among people who revere Terrence Malick. Right. It's the only one I ever see considered like a masterpiece. I mean, it's the best picture nominee, right? <clears throat> yes. Um, let's see. This is just Rotten Tomatoes, Terrence Malick scores. Let's see. Badlands is 98%. It's 50 reviews. I looked that up. So it's not horrible. Days of Heaven is 94. And then uh, that documentary he made well, a couple years ago, The Tree of Life is 84. Then Red Line is 79. That's not surprising that, like, but the thing is with, like, Tree of Life, it's 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. The 84% think were all, like, a masterpiece. Yes. And then the 16% were, like, me the first time I watched it, which was, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't get it. There's whispering and dinosaurs, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 50, uh, 50 reviews for Days of Heaven as well. Hmm. Days of Heaven has uh, Richard Gere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, maybe I'll give that a shot sometime soon. The uh, Badlands is on Filmstruck. I think it's like remastered with a Criterion Collection and whatnot a few years ago, and it uh, it looks great. It's a great looking movie. Yeah, very, very pretty movie. Think about it. Cool. Enjoy that. But yeah, so that's Badlands. So uh, I'll segue that by using the word segue. It's our favorite thing. I put it in my uh, my uh, lead up for the podcast last week. It's like we segue from following into a draft about the directorial debuts. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is, so, are there any, we've talked, we kind of already talked about Malik and how I've never been able to get into Malik really, because I, it's just, his movies are very slow and quiet, and, and just, um, contemplative, and they spend a lot of time on that, and so, for something just never clicked with me, and so, with Badlands, it's finally started to click a little bit. Are there any other directors... I guess directors is probably the most... The easiest thing. But directors, actors... Um, movie genres, movie styles... That f- for whatever reason... You just couldn't quite get into. And you know critics love them or people love them. And they just didn't click with you. Anything that you're like disconnected from the populace or the critics on. And you you... Do you know why? That's the other question. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are. <laughs> so, first off, like, I know, for example, you aren't, you couldn't get that into, like, Indiana Jones movies. The Yeah, I mean, I think they're, uh, what they are. I don't think, I guess the best way to say it is, like, I don't think any Indiana Jones movie is that much better than, like, Ocean's Eleven, the remake. Okay. Like, the, Great popcorn movie. So, what do you think is the? They're difference? not better than Back in the Future. So, what is the difference between you and most people on on those movies? Do you think? Besides, my brain just being better <laughs> than everyone. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Indiana Jones is a is a bizarre one because it fits. It checks all the boxes for me, you know. And I, when I watched them all over a few courses of a week or so two years ago, and I was just like, nope, it's not. I thought, because I thought maybe originally it was due to um, my brothers being so into Star Wars that 
that's what I wanted to be into when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of skipped the Indiana Jones phase as a ten year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't know. I go back and I watch them, and I don't get why they're so held in such high praise. Well, I mean, also I I, I don't like lumping all those in together to either sure. because yeah. like Raiders, I think deserves all the praise. Temple of Doom. I still don't like all that much. Right. And Last Crusade, I very much enjoy it, but it is in no way as good as Raiders. Right. Um, it's a, it's a, like if you were to compare it, Ra- uh, Lost Crusade to me, or Last Last Crusade, is closer to like a National Treasure movie. It's better done than a National Treasure movie, but it's closer to that kind of movie where it's just, you know, here's some old historical stuff that will, will, uh, Manipulate for to make a good fun adventure movie, yeah. Um, so, I guess when I say Indiana Jones, I'm talking Raiders of the Lost Ark, like right. Um, yeah, I don't really know why. I hmm. don't. It's a it's a it's a tough question. Are there any actors you don't like? You typically dislike. I know Cass is never really likes John Cusack. She doesn't like John Cusack. No, we don't have her on. But do you know why? She doesn't like his face. <laughs> Literally, that's it. And that's uh, I'm the same way with um, Monahan. One of the Monahan girls. You are. I am the way with Michelle Monahan. Uh, kind of that way with Sarah Paulson. That just just kind of annoys me a little bit. Yeah. I thought she was great in the. I really have only seen her in. The first season of American Horror Story and the, the OJ. OJ thing. And she was great in the OJ thing. She was really great in the OJ, yeah. Um, but I wish it would have been somebody else because I wouldn't have had to <laughs> listen to Sarah, Sarah Paulson talk the whole time. Well, that's like me with my... Well, and I and I certainly don't dislike her. I actually really like her, but uh, she's in... Uh, she's on SNL for a bit. What's her name? On a guest star. No, she is... Uh, she's Jean-Ralphio's little sister. No, uh, Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate. I'm kind of like that with Jenny Slate, but then again, it's not hard for me to figure out why because it's just, uh, just a a little Jenny Slate goes a long way for me, and and it does go a long way, and then too much Jenny Slate can. Uh, there's just something about her. I do have a revered Oscar-winning director that I think is heavily overrated. Let's hear it. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. I think... Unforgiven's great, but like Million Dollar Baby and American Sniper are not... They're not better directed than most movies. Nothing about those movies where I was like, well done. Like, he fucking had Bradley Cooper. Who did you need? Does he need to be talked up before every scene? You got like a student of the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Some badass kid. Do, uh... I think it's... I think... I think most people love American Sniper, or at least I think a lot of American Sniper's fans loved American Sniper just because it was it was. Uh, it's a good movie. It is. It was a good movie about a somebody seen as a heroic soldier mm-hmm. by many people, mm-hmm. um, and I think that one's under easy to understand. But like, why do you think? Why do you think people love Million Dollar Baby the way they did when you didn't? And I, I'm I was always kind of just sort of. It's good. It's not a bad movie, but it's it's not like it never blew me away. I, I don't know. That movie has the 
it is a good movie up until the last ten minutes for me. And the break from reality is just so harsh. I think a lot of Clint Eastwood's pull as director, like, because, you know, his name gets attached to something. I think it is based on him as an actor. I think people love Clint Eastwood as an actor. He's a better actor than he is a director. And if you're a director, you get to do whatever you want. And he can demand money. I mean, it's easier for him to go fundraise. I guess, no, I guess what I'm saying is, like, cash with, like, the moviegoers, with the public. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I that, as well, I think that he, because uh, I don't think there's anything about his directorial style that is interesting or unique or. I wouldn't even know what to say. I wouldn't either. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not bad. I certainly don't think he's a bad director, but I don't think he has a, any sort of like auteur vision as a director that makes you that that you can watch something that you've never seen and just be like this is a Clint Eastwood movie yeah I mean I mean he did Mystic River that's a good movie and there's nothing about Mystic River that says Clint, is, Clint Eastwood to me no he also he directed Space Cowboys two years before that so like Jay Edgar's horrible pick the movies that he's not in I'm curious about those like okay 1517 to Paris he's not in that came out this year he's not in Sully He's not in American Sniper. He's, he's not in Jersey Boys. He's not in Jay Edgar. I think the last movie he was in was Gran Torino. He's been making a lot of movies lately about like uh, sort of either heroic soldiers or people from the his greatest generation. Yeah, <laughs> like Sully's an older guy, not yeah. not super old, but sort of like American heroes. He did do Flagstaff Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. It was a cool project mm-hmm. that he did. But, yeah, like, blood work. I mean... Actually, I saw blood work. Blood work's... Uh, I think that's based on, like, a just sort of a bestseller novel. Yeah. Like a James Patterson-esque novel. Yeah, people love The Bridges of Madison County. But what is Javier Bardem's favorite movie? <laughs> I love The Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> Um, and then Unforgiven is, you know, top ten movie of the nineties probably. But I, I don't know. It's just there's just nothing that. All I do is get excited because it's like, oh, I know he's gonna get what he needs to make a good movie, and that's about all it means for Clint Eastwood to be a director. Yeah. Are there any genres that you like less than others? Horror generally is the one that I've. Is it because it's poorly done, or is it because the it, I'm sorry. It, is it because it is more often poorly done? No, I think it, it has. A, it spawns a lot from me just knowing not to watch them as a kid who grew up in a house where I was alone in the middle of the woods a lot. Um, and it was just like, don't watch that movie because you won't be able to sleep because your mom's wherever you're. You're alone in the house in the middle of the woods, so just yeah. don't watch that. So you don't get too scared and you have to stay up all night with all the lights on. And now I watch them and I'm not scared of them anymore, but it's like a habit of just not watching those movies. But like, I mean, I went and saw Hereditary in the theaters last week. So. Yeah. Don't scare me anymore. I just, and they generally, like the reason I was talking to Al about this, I know you're not big on The Shining as much as a lot of people are. Um, And I think one reason it's got to be held in such high regard is because even for you who don't think it's like a five-star masterpiece, it's still a top ten horror movie to you, probably. Yeah. Because there just aren't that many to pick from. Right. That are great. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Yeah. I, I really like The Shining. Right. 
which does put me kind of lower on the yeah the the scale of enthusiasm. Because, I would love I, mean, to, I would love to meet someone who thinks it's a bad movie. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> be fun to talk about. But I mean, seriously, even with that, even with you, who would probably give it what four stars on Letterboxd? Four and a half. Four and a half. <laughs> okay. Um, it's still not. It's Exorcist. Might, uh, have you seen? You haven't seen Exorcist. Rosemary's Baby is five stars for you. Yeah. Um, but what other horror movies are five stars for you? Would Shining be number two, maybe? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah. Again, horror is a it's a similar genre for me in that I can't quite... I, I think it stems from the same place. I didn't watch a lot of horror movies when I was a kid. And so I don't have that... I don't have that tie to it. I don't have that, like... Um, emotional reaction to like ooh a horror movie the way right. that I would like ooh a sci-fi movie or something because I watched a ton of sci-fi when I was a kid um, I do have issues as well with the genre question and watching like period pieces that aren't thrillers like if they made a Downton Abbey movie I would never I would just be like ah I'm good I'm not gonna watch you don't understand though Downton Abbey's amazing it's like ah believe you you have fun with it I'm not watching that shit I don't it just sounds boring as all hell to me so yeah I mean that's the thing that like I feel like we are fairly normal people <laughs> fairly <laughs> we all have our eccentricities but uh we're fairly normal in that like we can typically tap into we like the things that that a lot of people like like yeah. we can understand why people like them why do people like down Abbey and why do people like period pieces because they keep getting made and they're this so there's a market for them to an extent and they're they're I th- well I think, reviewed I think they're well acted and once you start you probably can't stop it's like uh, the manager in Major League oh I like, love this shit <laughs> yeah I love this British crap yeah but uh no I mean I do think once you start watching something like that if it's a good show you're gonna keep watching it and I'm sure it's good. I mean, there's no way Down Abbey's not great, right? But oh, yeah, it I, objectively is. Right. Without me having ever seen a minute of it. Right. But I'm just never going to try. You know? Right. It's so far down the list. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think for me, the reason period pieces are, are tougher for me, specifically like Victorian era period pieces. Yeah, if you go back f- so far back, it gets kind of fun again. I think that I think the the thing for me is that I personally just don't know that that era feels so foreign to me that it's hard for me to um connect with characters of a of a time that I just like I've read about in history books, but I never had a real like visceral like connection with that like you could put me in the 1800s like the 1800s America or something though mm-hmm. the wild west and even though even though I would have the same sort of connection to that in only being able to read about the wild west there's something that's just it's American so it feels mm-hmm. it feels real to me and there's just it feels more real and closer to home for me than does like Victorian England in or you know certain period pieces yeah I guess I feel like a lot of those period pieces from like the industrial revolution too don't focus on like 
like the like Oliver Twist movies are so much more rare than the movies about Queen Anne or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. That it's so like pompous and big and frou frou that it's kind of boring. And to the point even where like I got tired of those. Who's the director? Who got he got he directed a the second Dun, the non Dunkirk Dunkirk movie the Winston Churchill movie. Joe Wright? Joe Wright. Where it was just like, I don't know, man. I'm starting to get tired of, like, Atonement and Anna Karenina and, mm-hmm. you know, Pride and Prejudice. And it's just... Which sound all the same, despite being very, like... All completely different. They're all very different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Atonement's a great, great fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Were there any things that you now like that you didn't like as a kid? Oddly, horror. Well, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, now you've said before that you don't really, you can't really get into westerns all that much. Oh, that's that's true. Have you? Is I, there is there a reason you think that people like westerns that you don't? Uh, yeah. Well, let me. Two things. Sure. First thing. When I sit down to watch one, I watch it, and if it's a good movie, I end up liking it a lot. So, uh, I think I asked you, like, is it worth watching The Good, The Bad, The Ugly? And you were like, absolutely, sit down, take three hours and watch it. It's a great movie. Mm. And I did, and it was fucking fantastic. Um, I think it's probably due to, like, my dad watching them so much, and just when you're a kid, not wanting to do what your parents do, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. I my dad that. liked war movies, and he liked westerns, and I didn't like war movies until I was older, either. Um, I, I think one, one reason I like war movies over westerns too is that they were getting made currently and well, and so my friends liked them, so I would go see them with my friends. But they stopped making westerns, kind of, you know. Yeah, westerns are much rarer than they used to be. So, yeah. And then as far as things that I watch that I like now that I didn't when I was younger, huh? I mean, I used to never like. Uh, like I would stay away from the science fiction section at Blockbuster when I was little. I don't know why I connected that with more like 2001 than I did connect it with like Star Wars or Star Trek. Right. You know? Yeah. I always thought it was just kind of something else. I was like, no, fantasy. That's what I want. I want fantasy. And Star, Star Wars... Certainly, it's better categorized as fantasy. Sure. Yeah. What about you? I don't know. I've I've tried to chime in with a few. Uh, I think, for me, uh, I don't love documentaries as much. And I think that's something that... I think because I often turn to movies to escape from reality... And to use fictional characters to tell me a story. And to tell me a story that, you know, I'm okay with it having themes that are based in reality. Or to tell me something about reality. But, for example, like Badlands certainly has things to say about the real world. Right. But, it's not a documentary. And there's something about... Yeah, there's just something about... uh, I don't know. I feel like the the way a lot of documentaries are put together is similar. There's a document 
documentary style that is almost adhered to by everyone. And, yes. it, and it makes it tough for me to, to jump in on a lot of them. The documentaries are odd, too, because they are 100%. Like, if you've got bad content, the movie's going to suck. And a movie can be like, if it's a bad story, you can save it with brilliant acting or, you know, camera work or mm-hmm. cool fight scenes or whatever. But, like, if you're in a documentary about some guy and he ends up being boring as shit, it's just going to be a boring-ass documentary. Right. So I agree with that. I don't like documentaries as much as I feel like. Uh, but I also feel like most people are actually like that. Oh, that's true. That's why they don't make up $300 million at the box office. Yeah, I mean, even people that are like, I love documentaries. It's like, do you? You know? Yeah. Do you watch 30 a year right. or something? Because if you watch two a year, you don't love documentaries. Right. You just like the ones you saw that were great that everybody recommended to everybody else. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's directors besides... Uh, Malik's always been sort of front and center for me for the directors that I... There's like a, there's like Lars von Trier. I certainly don't get into Lars von Trier. That's been... Yeah. That's, Who gets into Lars von Trier? But at the same time, that's another one that's super easy to diagnose why people don't get really into Lars von Trier. Right. He has some real appalling shit in his movies. Yes. And... What's this new one called where he went over the line? The house that Jack built? The house that Jack built. Right. The, saw the headline. People were like, Lars von Trier went over the line this time. And my reaction was, this time? <laughs> this time he went over the line? Not the five hour used porn stars to make a movie. Came out not that long ago. Five years ago. Yeah. Uh, between, the, uh, between me and you though, for Lars von Trier, I'm just saying, we've seen... The last three movies he's made <laughs> between me and you together. But I'll never see Antichrist. You might watch Melancholia. You'll never watch Nymphomaniac, I don't think. I've seen part... I've started Nymphomaniac and... You uh, stopped. <laughs> I, I did stop. It, it's... it's. <laughs> I feel like this term is is uh, definitely understated for Lar- Lars von Trier, but it was a bit much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but at the same time, I actually thought it was pretty good what I saw of Nymphomaniac. It's not. It's not horrible. It's um, just it is a lot. Yeah, and I was was not. It was one night. I was like, I'm definitely not going to make it through five hours of this. Yeah. So, and I just never, never really picked it back up. Picked it back up. I've seen the end of Melancholia on like HBO one night, and just scrolling through, I'm like, what's this movie? And that went poorly. Yeah, and then. Uh, for, watch, for everyone, and then I watched. Everyone. Yeah, I watched Antichrist. You should watch Dogville at some point. I will. I um, will watch Dogville. Dogville's good. Although it does it too, where you're like, so this is what's going to happen in Dogville. You're going to get an hour of the movie, and you're going to be like, oh, this is nice. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Uh, no, Lars. There's another director that I don't really love all that much, and that's uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, who directed. You're, I know, you're pulling up his, uh... That is not how I would have thought you spelled his last name. <laughs> Ref in. Refin. Oh, he's Danish, okay. Um, I could be mispronouncing that. I don't know. No, I think that's the way David says it anyway. Uh, I have only seen one of his movies. Bronson? Oh, no, I've seen two. Sorry, I forgot we watched Bronson for homework. Yeah, Bronson and Drive. Drive. I saw Only God Forgives... Oh, I've seen Neon Demon. The Neon Demon. Now, I actually did really like the Neon Demon. I 
I think I liked Bronson less than some of us. I'm not sure how I we all like felt. it that much. Yeah, it was a, it was a actor great, showcase. Great performance yeah. in a movie that was okay for me. Um, I want to see Valhalla Rising. I want to say that's got Mads Mikkelsen in it, mm-hmm. and it's uh, just starring Mads Mikkelsen. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't think I liked Drive as much as most people did. I thought it was fun. That was about it. And then I actually, I very much disliked Only God Forgives. I've never seen that. Ryan Gosling. Okay. It's set in, I want to say Thailand. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like that movie. I don't like his, I think he's, he's one of those directors who relies so much on aesthetic and like, um, visual tone kind of, yeah, that it really, um, doesn't sit well with me as well. Um, what about, and I don't know that I've seen any of his movies, but, uh, who's the guy who plays the villain in? Jack Reacher. Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. And that's how he shall be remembered for his days. <laughs> the guy who played the villain in Jack Reacher. The guy that uh, Aubrey Plaza and Chris Pratt bought their house from in the last season of Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, Taking my wife to Disney World. Have you seen any of his movies there? I have seen Nosferatu the Vampire. Oh, that's the... Was that shot for shot? I don't... Th- I'm not sure. I don't think so, but... It's a... Uh, it is a remake. And... Stylistic remake, so no. It's, a, it's as one of the most memorable scenes in any movie ever for me. It's, it's, it's really good. Is that one where he moves slowly toward the... Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the one where he starts off, you start off kind of laughing at it, and then it... Slowly gets creepy as fuck. Yeah, without (laughs) him even changing. It's just the passage of time and him moving very slowly towards the bed with his mouth hanging agape like a a dogwood or like a a very... It sounds scary. An animal. I've seen Rescued On. Oh, I've seen seen Bad Lieutenant Port Call of New Orleans. Okay. Which was, I remember as being pretty good, but I don't remember a ton about it. You seen the original? No. So I've actually only seen Rescued On, and I've seen uh, Into the Inferno when I thought it was going to get nominated for Best Documentary. It's the documentary he made about volcanoes. Did you have you seen his? Didn't he do the bear, the one about the grizzly man or something? Oh, I guess I have seen Grizzly Man. I think I've seen it bits and pieces of it. It makes me feel icky. So I don't. I don't think I've ever sat and watched it. But um, yeah, he did do Grizzly Man. Yeah, I've. I think for me, the biggest reason I've never gotten into his movies is mostly access. Like, these things are not on. You're familiar. You know that story, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Warner Herzog eats his shoe. His... Twenty-one minutes. <laughs> Didn't he have like a top-flight chef prepare it for him? I think so. Uh, yeah. With the help of Chef Alice Waters, <laughs> shoes were boiled with garlic, herbs, and stock for five hours. He sits down with a knife and fork, eats his shoe. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, yeah, I think Access is the main reason I've never gotten into Werner Herzog is because it's not like his movies are on uh Well, you can Netflix. find a lot of the docs, but you can't find a lot of the feature fiction right. films. But no, if you have Filmstruck, I think a lot of them are on Filmstruck. That's where I watched Nosferatu. Nice. 
I can look at Werner Herzog's filmography for hours, I feel like. Um, no, that's, that's definitely an interesting uh, topic to talk about and consider. It's it's fun. I, I do, I mean, obviously the, the biggest genre for movies that I like now that I didn't like when I was little was, I'll call it Oscar bait, but like, I'm way more open to every term I could think of for these kind of movies, like if I would need an umbrella term, it sucks. I'm like, I really like thinkers now more than I used to. Prestige films, yeah. maybe? Yeah. But Oscar bait does kind of get the point across as to, as to what I mean. Like, you're going to select the most type movies. I wouldn't have cared about those when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um... This is a slightly it's it's a, it's related, but are there any other movies that you would call starter movies, sort of like Bad Badlands? Like, if somebody is take for a director that you like that maybe not a lot of people do, is there a movie that you would say is like first watch this, and then if you like this, maybe you'll like other things? Is there hmm. anything like that that comes to mind? Like, uh, what would be like a starter movie for? Hmm, Woody Allen. Annie Hall? I think Annie Hall's the go-to there. It's the most Woody Allen movie and the most likable. Like, while Midnight Paris might be as good, if not better, it's so not Woody Allen. Right. It's not the movie that you'd be like, oh, if you like Midnight Paris, you're going to love all these other Woody right. Allen movies. But Annie Hall is quick enough that it might, it would definitely be the one I would recommend. What about uh, John Carpenter? John Carpenter. Hmm... I mean, it's Halloween. Probably the, Halloween. The thing. Uh, I, I think it. I think it's maybe his movies are grounded enough in like entertainment where you don't need a starter movie either. There's so, like, if you ask me Spielberg, I'd just be like anything. Just watch Spiel, watch some Spielberg movies. They're all he's he's just so like all over the place. John Carpenter is with like action to horror and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, yeah, I forgot he he did action movies. He did uh, Escape from... Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah. Escape from L.A. Um, and then Tarantino's movies are all, like, so similar that... I mean... Yeah, I would definitely Pulp start... Fiction. I would start with Pulp Fiction. And then go to Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And then, if you don't like Reservoir Dogs all that much, maybe try Django Unchained. And then... If you don't like any of, if you don't like two of those three movies, you can probably be done. Yeah. Um, trying to think of other big directors of the day. Paul Thomas Anderson. Probably there will be blood. Boogie Nights is so one thing. You know, it's yeah. so sex driven that I would has I would I would shy away from that. Um, is it Magnolia? Yeah, I haven't seen Magnolia. It's the weirdest movie he's ever done. And then this last one was uh, so different as well. I would definitely start with There Will Be Blood. If you like There Will Be Blood, you might like Boogie Nights. Then you might like Where Would Punch Truck Love Fall In? Fat Phantom Thread. Um. Man, like, to the side somewhere. I was, I was trying to line them up, like, 
If you like There Will Be Blood, then you can go to Boogie Nights. It's a little weirder, but not too weird. Then you can go to Phantom Thread. It's a little weirder, but not too weird. Magnolia's bizarre. Stop when you don't like one. Don't move on to the next one. Punisher and Love is over here. You know what I mean? We look up, like, like best directors of today, or... Peter Jackson, Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan. What about Christopher Nolan? I know we just talked about him last week, but where would you start if you were like... Well, I'd probably leave the Batman movies out of it. Yeah, they don't really give you a feel for Nolan. I might go Inception. Um, yeah, Memento is, is good, but I think Inception is more accessible to people. Like, I think it's easier for people to get into uh, Inception. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Somebody I know you've seen the complete filmography of, but David Fincher, where would you point somebody? I think you start with... You start with Seven for Fincher. I think it's his first... I think it's the first movie that just is a Fincher movie. And that aesthetic is going to carry through to a lot of his movies. Even, even some that are better. Like, right. I, I think Zodiac's a better movie. But Zodiac is just... I don't know. I think Seven is, is what I would point to for a first-timer. Wes Anderson? It's tough. I think for Wes Anderson, I would probably go... I think I would probably start with Grand Budapest, honestly. I was thinking about it. I think it's the most likable of his movies. Most easy to like. I was going to pick a different one for the same reason, though. I was going to pick Moonrise Kingdom. I think Moonrise Kingdom is very easy for someone who's not into Wes Anderson. I think that that's the one. The people that didn't like Moonrise Kingdom were the like Wes Anderson heads. Oh. Who were like, this isn't weird enough. So you have to say, I'm agreeing with you, maybe. Okay, yeah. I don't think people... I think the people that didn't know what they were going in to see... So it's like possibly like Badlands, which is like... Right. It's like the opposite of like Mother and Darren Aronofsky. Right. Aronofsky people loved it. People who didn't know... People who thought they were going to see a Jennifer Lawrence horror movie were confused as to what the hell is going on. But if you can't like Moonrise Kingdom, you're not going to like any of his other movies. Yeah. Ron Howard's another one who I don't really kind of like Clint Eastwood just doesn't really have an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, who are these people on this list? Jason Reitman. There's somebody I've at least heard of. Ugh, this guy. Yeah. Um... But no, that's uh, it's interesting. I just uh, I always personally find it weird when I'm like, oh, here's a here's a very a very subgenre that I can't get into, and that's really like vampire movies or vampire fiction. Yeah, I don't. Or, right, what's or, what's our what's our what's your favorite movie with a vampire in it? Um, I am Legend. I didn't like that. Uh, Nosferatu. <laughs> it could be Nosferatu <laughs> the Vampire. Um, 
gosh, that's tough for me. I mean, without making it a joke, like what we do in the shadows. Oh yeah, it's good. It's really good, but it also doesn't feel like. I feel like the only they made it the only way they make could make a vampire movie that I would like is to just not make not really make it a vampire. Let the right movie. one in. It's a fantastic movie. I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, but that's the only one here. I see. Yeah. From Dust Till Dawn is okay. Why do why do people love vampire movies then so much? <laughs> um. Or just monster movies in general, I wonder. I guess they're... I guess that sort of feeds into horror movies in general. But why have vampires taken on such a huge following instead of, uh, like, Wolfman movies or... Vampires... Like, sexiness of it? The sexiness, which has to, has to spawn from, in 1993 or whatever, getting fucking Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt to play vampires. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And there's just something, I guess, something about the 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 way the vampires typically drink blood in movies, which is like Sexy. They, have to, they have to kiss a neck almost. Yeah. A vampire's it's called a vampire's kiss. And uh I guess that's sexier than uh just breaking out with hair all over your body. Also had Buffy, which probably helped a lot mm-hmm. launch this current wave of vampire craziness. Sure. Yeah. Again, this is something I struggle to really care about is vampires in Yeah. Maybe I should watch the Twilight movies. See what that's all about. Nah. <laughs> Have you seen any of them? Yeah. Really hope you've seen like the third one. I did. It was. It was randomly. It was like okay. the one I think it was the second one. I mean, I've seen the beginning of the first one a few times, and I always get to him jumping through the trees, and I just diggle away into another room. Yeah. Um, it's just so weird, some of that, like, they sparkle? I don't know. They sparkle. <laughs> that's bizarre. Uh, Anything else, though? No, I think that's that's about it. It's, uh... Didn't really have a too cohesive of a conversation, but it was fun. It was fun. Uh, this has been Talking Talk, the podcast for the... Oh, yeah, I gotta do homework. Homework. That's what you got for us, TJ. Uh, we're gonna talk a fame talk. Yes. Next week. Um, it's a great movie, and I wanted to do something completely different than uh, the last two we've done have been kind of downers a little. So, it's one of my favorite comedies, and uh, it's also a drama. Also, maybe a war movie, a little bit. But it is a sports movie above all else. <laughs> and also a horror movie and some sci-fi and a musical and a documentary. What is it? I guess it could be a musical, maybe. <laughs> Not the other shit you said. Uh, a documentary, though, yes. Uh, a League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. Fun. Yeah. Um, What's I, it on? It is streaming on Hulu or Amazon. I think it's Hulu. Um, so yeah, League of Their Own. We'll try to put it in the... In the talk of fame, joining the newest member, I guess Back to the back Future's to the future. in now. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Anything else? Is that it? Uh, I think that's it. This has been Talkie Talk, the podcast for the MediaBias.com. Please uh, jump online and see our stuff. The MediaBias.com is the website, and through the website, you can get to all three of our Facebook groups: TV Bias, Movies Bias, Games Bias. Contact us through Twitter. 
Gmail or the website itself. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating. Uh, it helps uh, keep up with our numbers and all that kind of stuff. We want to thank the intro music, always provided by the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers! And the outro music by That's it, I guess. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, TJ. We'll see you next week. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things.